Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plates to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinizing through their lies and make them fall. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Uh, it's been a while since I did this. I kind of forgot to keep doing this, and then people tell me I have to keep doing it. So <laughs> here's the quick reminder uh, that if you do like this podcast, please rate and review it wherever it is that you do those kinds of things. Uh, for most people, uh, that's probably iTunes, and everyone insists that more reviews and ratings on iTunes helps more people find the podcast. So unless you want to keep it like completely secret and like your special podcast that only you get to listen to, uh, please go rate and review it and help more people find it and tell other people about it and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, we certainly appreciate you spreading the word. Uh, anyway, uh, for the past uh, three years now, I think, after CES uh, is over in early January, we've had reporter Rob Pecorero on to discuss some of the takeaways that we each had from the show. Uh, and we're not about to stop that trend, so we've got Rob back again for what I believe is the fourth year in a row that we've done this. Uh, I lost track myself. <laughs> and uh, I've lost track of how many years I've been going to CES. I think I was trying to count based on I remember like the different hotels I stayed in. So I was trying to count back and I think I've been going to CES for 11 years. Uh, and I know that Rob has me beat by quite a bit. I think this was your 22nd. Is that I correct? have in fact doubled that every from 1998 and every, every year since. So there we go. So he's been at, at uh, 22 CESs in a row. I think think I've been to 11, but I could be off by one or two in either direction. <laughs> I really <laughs> don't remember. Um, now, I uh, mostly go for the meetings and usually to attend various conference sessions. And every year, I promise myself that I'm going to spend more time on the show floor, and it rarely happens. But I know that Rob does the actual reporting stuff and actually does very systematically go through uh, the many, many, many different show floors. Um, this year, I actually surprised myself and had a bit more time to do some exploring on the show floors, but not nearly as thoroughly or systematically as as Rob does. Um, so I did spend a bunch of time this year in Eureka Park, Excellent. Uh, which is where all the funky startups are. <laughs> and I'll have some more to say on that uh, during the podcast, I'm sure. Um, and so I will start out by saying it's always popular to, to pick out sort of the big trends at CES. And I had three major takeaways in my mind, uh, and I'll be curious to hear what Rob has to say about them uh, or his, um, what his own takeaways were. But my, my big three were the first thing was that um, everyone is still trying to figure out um, how voice and various tech assistants are going to integrate into everything else uh, with the focus being almost entirely on Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant. Uh, in fact, almost all of Google's focus this year, at least that I saw, was all about its uh, assistant product. Um, the second big trend I saw was that uh, companies are trying to make um, every weird and inconceivable thing connect to the internet 
including toilets, sofas, and I, <laughs> I kid He's you not. He's not kidding about that. Nope. Yes. The uh, Japanese sake glasses, which are my favorite. You can record how quickly you drink your sake. So uh, <laughs> the uh, final uh, trend that I had in my head from CES was that uh, – at least on the main show floors, as I was wandering around, that there was a huge focus on automotive and not just in the automotive part of the show in the North Hall. Uh, it seemed like for at least many of the big tech companies and some of the smaller ones, um, table stakes at CES involved having a car somewhere in your booth and showing off your automotive strategy, whatever that might be. Um, so those were my big takeaways. But uh, Rob, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Uh, what, uh, what about you? I, 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 you know, I know that you go through this process where you, you have a plan, uh, <laughs> going in. It rarely survives getting off the plane in McCarran. Yeah. Um, but at least you do, <laughs> you know, I sort of wander aimlessly until something catches my eye, <laughs> which is, is probably not the best strategy when, when CES now. I've seen worse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, you know, it, it, and, and we explain this every year, but for people who have not been to CES, um, it is massive, uh, and, um, potentially the largest trade show anywhere, um, depending on how you count or what you look at and, and what other trade shows may have just shut down. Um, <laughs> and so, um, it, 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 you know, takes over the city of Las Vegas and there are elements of it all over the place. And so to see the whole thing is quite a process. Uh, but, uh, but I know Rob, you give it, you give it every effort. <laughs> yes. So I'll start with, you know, I, my first CES was 1998 and the big story back then was digital TV. The digital right. TV transition was just getting started and everyone was amazed that, you know, by the end of the year, you'd be able to spend $4,000 on a 36-inch CRT high-definition set that would weigh like 400 pounds and you could watch absolutely nothing on it. Right. <laughs> and every year since that, there's always been something happening in TV. And so this year, yeah. th there were two big trends I saw. One that is good and, and customer-friendly and worthwhile, and the other strikes me as almost a complete waste of time. So the good news here involves a company that never exhibits at CES, Apple. Mm -hmm. Apple decided, the, the first announcement actually I've, came out uh, while I was still on my way to Vegas Sunday, bringing AirPlay to a bunch of different smart TVs from, uh, let's see, Sony, Vizio, Samsung, LG. And even crazier than that, bringing, you know, AirPlay, to be clear, is... The, the app that lets you cast something, video from your iPad, your iPhone, or your, your Mac. Right. Traditionally, just to an Apple TV. So Apple just said, hey, you don't need to spend 180 bucks on our Apple TV. This feature is going to come built in to these sets. And I, get, I think Samsung and I think maybe Vizio are going to add this in a software update to some of last year's sets as well. Even crazier, Samsung sets are going to have an iTunes app. Yeah. Which is... Bizarre, given how many times over the last 10 years uh, Apple has acted like it wants to stick a fork in Samsung's eye, <laughs> whether it's you know, accusing them of ripping off the iPhone yeah. or just being uncreative. They're, it's like if you're going to be a real Mac blogger, you have to trash Samsung at least you know once per quarter. <laughs> so suddenly they're, they're best friends or best frenemies. And this is great because you know, if you've bought stuff on iTunes – it's more useful 
it's more valuable to you. It, it ends a sort of pointless line that didn't really have to exist. Gives customers more choice. There, there's really nothing not to like about this. So the useless part. Uh-huh. You know, I started. We had we went from standard definition to high definition. Obvious huge change. We went from high definition to 4K ultra high definition. Yeah, which is not such a huge change. If you have a smaller set, smaller meaning like below 50 inches, you're probably not going to see those extra pixels from your couch, and there's still very little to watch at 4K. You know, you have stuff on Amazon and Netflix, but no cable operator in America is touching 4K. Right. Um, it's only a little bit of stuff on satellites. There is a 4K compatible broadcast standard, ATSC. That's Advanced Television Systems Committee 3.0. That is now a test, but is still a year or so away from being in sets. So there's, there's, if you're buying a 4K set, you're basically buying it to watch a lot of HD stuff. Right. What's the electronic industry do to top that? 8K, which has <laughs> – it doubles down in the Vegas sense of doubling down when the blackjack dealer already has an A showing. Of <laughs> right. All the problems 4K has. So instead of having very little stuff to watch, there's really nothing to watch. There's some stuff on YouTube in 8K resolution, which is basically 33 million pixels versus right. uh, I think it's 8 million for 4K – and a million change for HD. Um, you need an even larger screen to see this extra resolution. 65 inches is the smallest I've seen. And I had a guy at LG say, I think 80 inches is probably the realistic minimum. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know who the customer for this is. I know I am not. I live in a house from 1920. I the only place I could fit an 80-inch set would be maybe <laughs> screw it in. To the ceiling and watch it while lying on the floor. <laughs> so I don't know why people experience. are. It's like I'm not denying 8K's right to exist as, sure. as, a, as a luxury niche format, but you see people suggesting that this is the next logical move. No, it isn't. <laughs> More is not better in this case. It's just spending money on stuff you cannot use. Yeah. So I, I think I saw, if I remember correctly, you tweeted a. a there was a 4K and an 8K television next to each other and asked people if they could determine which one was right. which, and, and everybody got it wrong. <laughs> yes, yes. Sharp, which is now a subsidiary of Foxconn. Huh. Um, I didn't yeah, know that, actually. I'd sort of forgotten that as well. But, yeah, a bunch of traditional TV brands have kind of gone by the wayside. So they, they had two 70-inch screens set up, one 4K, one 8K. Uh, the 8K, they were playing the same highlight reel. Like, mm-hmm. from 98 on, the way you show off... A fancy new TV set, you play a highlight reel, which is sort of slow pans across cityscapes, nature, uh, some, you know, food porn, still life close-ups, you know, a, a model staring into the camera, same sort of thing. So they right. had this highlight reel in 4K in the 4K set and up-converted, which is how 8K sets will, for now, get you to appreciate the extra resolution, to 8K. Right. So I stood about like six six feet away, which I think is perspective of viewing distance and looking back and forth like well, no they kind of look the same so i thought you know yes it's sort of unfair to take a picture of this with my phone's sure. camera which doesn't itself have 8k still resolution right and ask people to judge but at that point six feet away i was also out too far away to see the extra pixels i couldn't see distinct pixels in either one and yeah. people who had any guess at all thought the 4K set was the 8K set? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It um, 
Yeah, I I, I saw some of those TVs, and, and they all look you know very crisp and clear. But you know, what is the value, especially when you know 4K is still so early in the process? It seemed like uh, um, a lot of hype. Um, let me go back to the other the 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 thing that you found more useful because um, I've seen yes. some discussion about this. First of all, was that. Um, and, and really sort of mixed reaction. Like some people thought it was a really good thing um, as you did. And then I heard some people say that this was just sort of like business development for the sake of business development and that the um, interface for, you know, accessing like iTunes on your TV or whatever was kind of uh, a mess and useless and not really good. And, and um, that, you know, sure, this was sort of effectively Apple kind of throwing in the towel on forcing everyone into to, to buy an Apple TV product um, and sort of maybe ending the, the the idea that Apple has a future with Apple TV, um, but that it wasn't it wasn't really that revolutionary or that important. It was just sort of like, a, well, all right, we'll we'll throw in the towel on this. I, I would say, I mean, it's Apple. This is the company that <laughs> like they just now got around to shipping an Apple News app for the Mac. Right. Uh, they, they took quite a few years to ship iBooks for the Mac. So historically, they've had enough trouble making their own services available on their own computers, <laughs> let alone <laughs> TVs made by a company that everyone thinks they hate. Sure. So, you know, I think having more interoperability is always good. Yeah, it's a fair critique to say, you know, the, the user experience of switching from one to the other is not good, but that's true of smart TVs in general. Yeah. And I think anytime you have to switch inputs on your TV and then learn a whole different interface, that's not an upgrade. So if, yeah. if people only have to learn one crummy interface, <laughs> that's better than having to learn two. Yeah, I guess, I guess. Um, so, so sticking to the TV theme, because I mean, as you said, I mean, CES is always some element of TV stuff and I usually pretty much ignore it, but there were a couple other things that came up in the TV space that, that could be worth discussing. Now, one was the sort of, um, uh, the roll-up TV. Um, yeah, the LG 65-inch rollable OLED. Yes, um, which, you know, well, do you want to describe it? Yeah, so OLED, short for Organic Light-Emitting Diode, uh, it's a technology that lets you make a very, very thin, like below quarter-inch thin, quarter-inch thick screen. It's got, like, really great contrast, brightness, colors, everything else. And for a while, LG has been showing off that you can do things like have a set that is like curved to wrap around a column, or you right. could make a screen that is actually see-through or can be partially translucent. And so what they figured out, to, figured out how to do this time around was to make a TV that, where the screen sort of scrolls out of this rectangular box, sort of like an old slide projector screen, except yep. it's this 4K screen. And it sort of scrolls up, so you've got this nice 65-inch TV. You can watch it, press a button, it scrolls back in. And it's very quiet. It's just this whir you can barely hear from a few inches away. Or you can have it scroll almost all the way in, and then there's maybe like a foot or so of screen left. That's the line view mode, where it can run basic, simple apps. So in essence, the TV can become the world's most expensive alarm clock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, you know, hey, maybe it'll uh, be useful in a house from 1920 that doesn't have room That's for, true, right. It's, for it's a regular... around the fact I'm blocking the window when I watch TV, but otherwise, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh, that, that was neat. People did have, There was a lot of discussion about that. 
And I'm sure they will sell a bunch of those because, I mean, it is an issue when you have a 60-inch TV or something. And when it's off, it's this huge black rectangle. Yeah. And so Samsung's solution to that has been uh, the frame, a TV that's about that size, where you basically run an app and it sort of clones the color of the wall around it. So yeah. the TV is always on, but it looks like it's just another expansive wall. And you can like show pieces of art on it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I didn't quite get it. They they, they had this sort of giant wall with like TVs displaying artwork, and I was like, I, "Really? <laughs> okay." They told me, you know, it uses no more uh, electricity than a sixty-five watt light bulb. I'm like, an incandescent bulb? Who uses those things? Yeah, really? like that's not the standard you want to raise, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these days, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it is interesting. Like, you know, I, I actually think that the, the like the the roll up TV. I mean, there were some jokes about it too. And I mean, well, with everything at CES, people will joke about it. But like, I, I actually did think what was interesting to me was how, um, you know, that could be sort of uh, a, a starting point for more creative ways of of looking at TVs or doing different things with TVs rather than you know big giant rectangle. Um, yeah. So every year, the last few years at least, LG Displays, which is a subsidiary of LG, has had this meeting room set up off the show floor, like just upstairs in the convention mm-hmm. center. And so that's where several years ago I saw this demo of like the, the transparent TV. Right. Uh, where, of course, one of the other journalists realized he, he would have to take a selfie through the TV. Very <laughs> <laughs> innovative photojournalism. Right. Um you know, things like the TV that, that curves around a corner or that, you know, you can have TVs where the screens sort of undulate like a wave. So you have all <laughs> sorts of artistic stuff. Like this year they had four t- four curved OLED screens sort of layered on top of each other like a sort of gigantic electronic flower. It was really quite beautiful. <laughs> it, it Instagrammed very well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably not the most useful of things, but but in terms of demonstrating, this is CES. What since yeah. when is useful <laughs> the priority yeah, yeah. here? Yeah, no, I, I'm. But I do think it's it's interesting that that maybe it will get people to rethink, you know, sort of the way TVs can be. Um, and yeah. and I don't know what that looks like, but but I'm I'm always uh, enthusiastic about just rethinking things. Uh, just if if there is a way to do something better, that that could be interesting. Now the the one other sort of TV related story that got got some attention um, was during uh, a podcast uh, for somebody else, uh, Vizio's CTO, uh, the Virgin's uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, made some sort of statement along the lines suggesting that um, because smart TVs are sucking up all sorts of data about your viewing habits or whatever, they're able to sell the TVs for much less. Um, I'm skeptical of, of a bunch of parts of that, <laughs> including whether or not they're really, uh, able to make very much money off of any of this data and how much data they're actually collecting especially since um vizio just got fined not so Quite long a lot ago of money by the federal <laughs> trade commission yes uh from the ftc for spying on people <laughs> to have their cto then go on a podcast and claim that they're uh, i don't know i so i don't know how accurate all of that was but um you have any thoughts on the whole like privacy uh mess that that vizio is may now be in again right but it's not just then so actually just an hour or two ago i was reading a really good post by uh, jared newman who writes for tech hive and a bunch of other uh-huh. places and he made the point that you know 
yes, this actually does happen. And it, it's, I mean, it's pretty much all these things. Roku, the, they use this screen recognition technology in part to see, like, where else can you watch what you're watching right now? Which right. Otherwise, you'd have to, like, do the search yourself. Um, there are ad possibilities. A lot of it depends on how much is it anonymized before it's aggregated. Another point he made in this post was, you know, the cable box, that does that as well. And, of course, yeah. since we no longer have any broadband privacy rules, your ISP can also, <laughs> you know, to the, to the extent they can track where you're going, they can there, – there are all sorts of monetization possibilities. So yeah. – and the alternatives, like are you just not going to connect the TV to Wi-Fi at all? Well, then you're, you can do that, but then most of the utility is gone, especially right. these days when so much viewing is online. Uh, you can certainly opt out of this stuff. And that's where, you know, reading the FTC complaint, Vizio had the setup where you had to go, there was some prompt shown on the screen and you had, I think, all of like a minute or two to decide, oh, wait, I don't want to do this. And it was not all clear. It was a classic dark pattern interface where it was designed to obscure you and to have you do what the developer wants you to do. Right. And, you know, yeah, you should sort of decide, what stuff are you going to opt into? What are you going to opt out of? In general, all this stuff should be much clearer up front. And, you know, treat the customer the way you would want to be treated instead of like, yeah. we just got to get into click through this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see sort of what comes out of it. I mean, the thing, honestly, that amazed me was even that, like, I am guessing that there are multiple PR people for Vizio who are <laughs> very, oh, yeah, very yeah. mad. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was probably not their best day ever. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, so let's let's move on from TVs. Um, what what else did you um, did you notice at CES this year? So I did spend a lot of time looking at connected appliances of various kinds because yes. it's crazy how much stuff is being connected these days. So. We mentioned toilets. Kohler has the Numi 2.0 toilet, which, like, why does the toilet need to be connected? Well, because it has mood lighting. It's its own soundtrack associated. Um, I don't know that you'd need that. And, like, the sort of most reassuring <laughs> thing in the conversation I had with this executive at Kohler's exhibit was you can actually you can run it offline. There's a traditional set of controls. I mean, to the extent that toilets have control beyond them. <laughs> flusher handle uh so you can you can run it offline in a disconnected way uh there was another example where i think uh moen has a smart shower suite u by moen where mm -hmm. you can you know tell your your alexa or google assistant start the shower at a particular temperature which i'm like you know i get it i'm used to setting my shower temperature in terms of like well the handle should be about a little past nine o'clock that's right. about the right temperature for me uh, but you could, you know, start it and have it be warm before you step in. That's nice. And I did think, you know, I don't know about you, but I often have, like, a, a good idea for a story or a post will jump into my head when I'm doing something else totally unrelated, like showering. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, like, do I want an internet-connected microphone? Maybe I just <laughs> need, like, a waterproof whiteboard or something to jot down these brainstorms. <laughs> yeah. Or just, you know enough memory to wait 10 minutes I no mean. that's not gonna work <laughs> Let, let's not get to the realm of magic uh, and in the kitchen it was interesting to see that uh, so samsung has have has the family hub smart fridge for a few years now mm -hmm. 
And from the start, it said cameras inside, so you can, like, bring up your phone app while you're in the grocery store and see, like, do I actually need to buy whatever? Uh, but in this case, they've now added image recognition, so it will see that, you know, you have, uh, you know, these kinds of vegetables to the extent it could see. Some stuff is out of the camera's perspective, and it will suggest matching recipes. And uh, Whirlpool showed off a connected countertop oven with a similar thing. You, you put like a frozen pizza in the thing, the camera recognizes it, the temperature sensor says, this is frozen, cooks it automatically. And of hmm. course, this made me think of the Silicon Valley plot line about Shazam for food. Right. <laughs> Which, and of course, in that episode or one or two episodes later, there was another plot line involving smart fridges getting hacked. So I right. kept thinking of those two episodes walking through the show floor. Yeah, uh, the sort of upsides and downsides of uh, having AI in our appliances. Yeah, um, yeah, and again, you know, I mean, you're talking about it with the with the larger companies, but like that was something that I noticed all throughout Eureka Park, which is you know where all the startups and smaller operations are. I mean, there were all sorts of smart appliances or connected so you mentioned appliances. sake glasses I, yes. I have to admit i missed that i did oh was this in, in the, the little japan exhibit where it they was the... it was in the back corner of the japan oh, exhibit not far just... not far from the clapping robots <laughs> yes i took a selfie in front of the clapping robots they had uh, for, a yeah, fridge for... that restocks beer for you yes so it was, it was so the sake glasses were basically uh between those two things. <laughs> so, listeners, this is exactly what CES is like. You come home, read everyone else's stories, and realize you missed, like, an entire... You could have written another thousand words of copy based on stuff. You missed, even though you were, like, two feet from it. Yeah, yeah. So, but but just for, for, for people to who did not get to see this experience, the clapping robots are exactly what it sounds like. It's just a robot that has two hands that go above its head and it will clap. And that is the extent of what the robot seems to do. Very, you know, it's very straightforward. It's not trying to be what it's not. Nope. Um, yes, but they, they did get a lot of attention. Um, I mean, uh, as I was walking around Eureka Park with with uh, a couple other folks, they began to notice that it was um, because there were all the that was in the Japan section. There were a bunch of different country sections, and each one had some sort of incredibly stereotypical uh, IoT connected device that. You know, if you predicted it ahead of time, you would be called racist or, or bigoted <laughs> in some sense. But there, you know, like, you know, it, it was weird. I mean, you have the sake glasses in the in the Japan in uh, in the French section. There was a a wine IoT thing in the Italy section. There was a connected pizza maker. I mean, it was. I, I did see in the Swiss uh, area they had. Uh, a set of sensor pods you would attach to your skis and wear while yes. skiing, yep. which made me wish I had gone skiing anytime lately. <laughs> well, I actually, I will admit that I literally got back from CES on Friday night and went skiing on Saturday. Um, but <laughs> that, that's that's a good way to come back from CES. Yes, um, but without a uh, sensor connected <laughs> skis. But I did see those in the Swiss. Uh, booth also, and and thought the same thing once again. It was a bit, bit, bit on the nose in terms of. There was probably something involving chocolate in the Swiss area as well, but I was I was kind of running behind at that point, so I had to be. Yeah, efficient. I mean, 
you know, Eureka Park is is really sort of fascinating, and I actually think it's a really good thing that that this is something that CES has done for a while now, where you have all these you know smaller operations, and some of them really are just sort of they feel silly, um, but you know it's sort of the nature of like crazy innovation is like lots of people try crazy stuff, most of them fail, but something comes out of it that that you know could potentially be useful. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is kind of a lot of fun to sort of walk through there, even if it can be, <laughs> it can lead to lots of funny tweets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I basically, I think I must've spent a good, like two hours and change just walking through it. It used yeah. to be, I could sort of get through it in an hour, but it just keeps on going and going. The French area alone has yeah. got to be like a hundred or so exhibits. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty incredible. Um, yeah, I mean the other sort of strange one that I noticed that I was trying to figure out was there's this booth that was the it claimed to be the world's first connected sofa, um, which I don't know if it's actually the first. I missed that I, one too. So connected I, I, sofa, will yeah. it tell you where in the sofa you lost your change in the remote? Because <laughs> that would be useful. Uh, I don't believe that's what it did, but we were asking like, what, what, wh why in the world would you need a connected sofa? Uh, and so I think there were a couple things. One, it had Alexa built in. Um, sure, why not? Right, and so like you know, but the response to that is like anyone who would actually buy a connected sofa. Um, in part because it has Alexa built in, probably already has, you know, an Echo device. Very safe right? bet. Yeah. Um, so the other things that it did was it it had LED lights underneath it, like the toilets, uh, <laughs> that that could like, and then it would somehow connect to like, I think it was YouTube, Netflix, and maybe something else so that it, it would, um, it could match the lighting to what you were watching and then also have some sort of movement or vibration to go along with what you were watching. Uh, so it would be a more immersive experience. Well, that, that, that has been sort of a stock and trade uh, for years and years. There are these sort of lounge chairs you can see at CES where yeah. they have a subwoofer built in. And the idea is like that's, you know, you, you can literally – feel the the rumble of the explosion in the movie yeah as this thing is like making noise all around you yeah so this it seems like the next step and except of course now it's internet connected and it's a whole sofa and yes and, LED and lights why not yes and and i think the final thing that it had was that the uh armrests on the side of the sofa would wirelessly charge your phone as well so just to complete the not crazy like i see i see the use case there sure sure um, but yeah, I mean, so there's just all sorts of these kinds of, you know, interesting <laughs> attempts to do things. I mean, there, w there were plenty of interesting products. I saw a lot of stuff around, um, like home security stuff and, um, a whole, a whole bunch of like sleep better <laughs> yes. things for like tracking your sleep or, or getting you to go to sleep better or all sorts of things like that. Um, Which is appropriate because no one sleeps well at CES. It's just right. bad for your sleep cycles, bad for you know eating like a normal human being. Yeah, yeah, that might just be the Vegas effect, but um, yeah, <laughs> the fact that so many people are, are are there and there's so much going on that that contributes to it. Um, so, anything else at Eureka Park, or should we move on? Uh, you know, let me look through my notes here. There were a bunch of things. So, I. I 
think I'd seen some like heads up before going there that somebody was going to have a, a connected litter box. Yes. Which I'm like, sure. What I didn't expect is that I'd see two other products in that category. So the idea <laughs> yes. is that the, these things, you know, they monitor how often your cat goes to the bathroom in the litter box and like your, your cat's weight, whatever. So you can sort of track your, your pet's health that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of them, one or maybe two of these can, you know, order more litter automatically, the sort of Amazon dash button model adopted to cat litter. And, you know, I, I do not have a cat myself. I, I meant to talk to our neighbors across the street. We sometimes take care of their cat when they're out of town. I don't think they would be into this sort of thing. Yeah. They're, they're older than us, but maybe, you know. Yeah. I mean, I I uh, had a cat, which unfortunately passed away last year. Uh, but, you know, I had that cat for almost 20 years. And um, I see no <laughs> real, <laughs> I mean, the um, the way we, you know, sort of manually handle kitty litter in the past was really not that difficult. <laughs> it was not something I considered a real burden that needed to be improved upon. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 you know, um, maybe, you know, it's not, it's not exactly a pleasant experience to clean up cat litter, <laughs> but yeah, I think the most direct, I remember years ago I was, uh, staying with friends and they asked me to take a look at their router and it was in the room where the cat litter box oh, was no. in. The litter box had been changed a little while. So I'm like, uh, this is the worst tech support I've ever done. I think yeah. I like these people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I will say one of the the, the early things that that we did when we moved into our house uh, was that I uh, installed a cat door leading into the garage, and so the kitty litter was oh, in the garage, good. which was a uh, safer place for it. <laughs> yeah, um, but again, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I understand the the uh, appeal of a smart kitty litter box um so um one thing one other thing that i saw that was sort of interesting though this wasn't at eureka park though they may have been there elsewhere i saw them at one of the the uh, uh media events that that you and uh, I like both... showstoppers or yeah or whatever yeah was was this device that you could put on top of your amazon alexa to get it to stop listening to you for a period of time. Right. Um, I read about like a cone of silence for it of some sort. Yes. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, I, like, so there's, there's, a, there are reasonable discussions to be had and reasonable arguments to be had about, you know, the privacy implications of putting an always on microphone around your house um, that sends data up out into the cloud and potentially could be used in all sorts of ways. Some beneficial, some nefarious, um, but the idea of then, on top of that, also purchasing a separate device to stop that microphone that you purchased and put into your house from hearing you seemed you really like a very through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it seems strange. I mean, you know, if if it is that big of a concern to you and you still want to use it, you know, you could unplug it or or do that other things. Works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there is so much anxiety over this, and it's it's the way I put it is companies write privacy policies. Really what they should be doing is just take the pitch you have for your advertisers or whoever actually provides the money that keeps the service going yeah. and just rewrite that for customers. So yeah. instead of saying, you know, we use this blah, 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 blah to improve the service, just say, 
you know, this gives us data that we can sell for this much and just explain the business model. Yeah. Of course, so many startups, their whole thing is we'll get a lot of users, then we'll figure out a business model, which <laughs> that, that's not a good way to you earn user trust. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's true. Um, so so what what else caught your eye this year? So spent a lot of time, like drones have been a big part of CES. This year, what struck me was, number one, there were a lot of drones that were underwater. Yeah. Which part of it is, you know, just for fun. Get, get pictures of you swimming with fish or exploring a coral reef or whatever. But there was one which was set up to, like, drop bait remotely to help you fish. <laughs> so I guess if you catch enough fish, you eventually recoup the purchase cost of it. <laughs> and, and after I'd seen that one. a bunch of these, I was wandering around another part of the South Hall. For, for the uninitiated, the Las Vegas Convention Center is split into three halls. The North Hall, the Central Hall, and the South Hall, which itself is on two levels. And right. each of them is large enough you could, you know, assemble, you know, wide-body airliners inside these things. Yeah. And so in the South Hall, I came around a corner and was staring at this huge, bright green John Deere combine. <laughs> yes. John Deere had come to CES for the first time to basically point out that agriculture is actually quite high tech in that this and other sort of you know harvesting hardware is guided by sort of precision adjusted gps within 2.5 centimeters so this combine is actually a drone in the sense that it drives itself down the field the farmer has her his hands off the wheel and is instead like checking crop prices or just monitoring how things are going (laughs) or whatever and i thought you know this is something I want to tell readers about to sort of make it clear that all this research into autonomous technology, it is not necessarily about getting the human out of the thing moving from point A to point B, but yeah. letting the human do other things. Yeah. Plus, I mean, this thing costs half a million dollars, and I did get to – there was a short line to climb up the steps, yep. like you know, eight feet off the ground and sit in the cab and look around. So yeah, that that was not something I really thought I'd be doing at CES. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I spoke to somebody else who who had grown up on a farm and was very excited about being able to climb up into that that uh, that particular combine. <laughs> yeah, that was neat stuff. Um, I mean, so so a a almost direct line from that into autonomous vehicles. Um, there's definitely, I felt at least, a bunch of talk about autonomous vehicles and kind of the... Were you able the, to get a, a, a ride from any of these self-driving lifts? I was not. I, I didn't either. I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah. This would be such a great story. I know. I didn't even think I, to take a screenshot when I opened the Lyft app the, the morning yeah, after it, I it, arrived. It, like, opt into self-driving cars? Cool. Hell yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. I got that also. You, you got the little pop-up that said, you know, are you willing to take a self-driving yeah. car if, if it comes? Um, and I did not. I, I, um, one of the things that I did at CES was I moderated a panel on uh, autonomous vehicles, and it included somebody from Aptiv, which is the company that is right. enabling the uh, self-driving lifts. And I kind of hoped that maybe that would help get me <laughs> uh, into one of them, and I did not. I was unable to get into a, a self-driving lift. Um, but um, it did seem to be like there was quite a lot of talk about it um, and, um, you know, a bunch of different companies doing stuff. Did, did I mean, did you get any sense of anything interesting or cool in, in that realm? So I didn't spend too much time covering that, mainly because one of my colleagues at Yahoo Finance was, uh, you know, it was, it was 
one of his assignments was to cover that, but I've been following it for a while, and I've, I've tried out things like the Super Cruise mode that, that are in some Cadillacs now. Yeah. And it, it sort of seems like we're getting to this point where the industry is now taking a step back and saying, well, maybe we're not going to have a car that could drive itself in, in any condition anywhere in the world at any yeah. time. But, of course, there are lots of times when humans shouldn't be on the road either. Yeah. And there's yeah. been a little bit of a reassessment and the, their thoughts of maybe we should instead, to what extent can we make driving safer? I know Toyota introduced a whole suite of technologies called Guardian that's supposed to basically, you know, watch over you as you drive and stop you from doing something stupid, sort of the same way you have things like technology to keep your car in your lane and... and yep break before a pedestrian or car gets in the way. Yeah. I mean, it it was interesting, you know, on on that panel that I moderated, one of the panelists was from, um, I think was the CTO of Vioneer, which is one of the big companies providing all the technologies for that. And, and I had this question that I asked, which was basically like, we're sort of, you know, entering this kind of transition period where you have mostly human drivers on the road and we'll get more and more autonomous over time. And, and that's actually part of what's tricky. If we had gone to a world that was all autonomous vehicles, I think a lot of people would feel safer with them. Um, but like, you know, how does this transition period sort of shake out? And and he was just like, I reject the premise of your question. Uh, we're not in a transition period. There won't be uh, fully autonomous vehicles um, on the roads in our lifetime, in any of our lifetimes. Wow. I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure I agree with, but he was just like, this is, you know, the, the whole focus of the market should be entirely on, um, you know, driver assistance and driver safety, not on fully autonomous, which seemed sort of like a pretty bold statement against what, you know, what the hype has been. Um, yeah. Well, that reminds me, I, I watched a debate uh, years or so ago, I watched a video of it after the fact, not in person, uh, that the Cato Institute held in D.C. about autonomous vehicles and what, what do they mean for transit. Right. And the, the pro-transit guy, a guy named uh, Jared Walker, who's uh, he's at Human Transit on, twi- on Twitter and worth a follow. The point he made was, if this technology actually does work at all, it will work much better in a bus, which is a vehicle on a fixed route, or on a train, right. which also has nothing else sharing that route except other trains you know about than it will in a private car so the thesis that automated cars make public transit irrelevant no it'll make public transit more efficient and will do that before it lets you you know retires the concept of people driving cars right right yeah it's it's interesting i mean i did see in the parking lot um a couple of you know big rig trucks um that claim to be self-driving i have no idea how far along they were and i didn't stop i just walked by them but (laughs) um you know there there are a bunch of different things that people are trying to do certainly but i don't know how much how how many of them are really yeah trucks are interesting there i guess because in theory you know you just want to keep them running all the time which you can't if there's a human so in that case you know a passenger car you know if it's privately owned of of course it's not going to be different all the time yeah so that's a different business model. Yeah. Um, so moving on to other stuff, did you have any thoughts on, I mean, so much stuff was Amazon Alexa or Google Home Assistant or whatever. Um, any thoughts on kind of this the status of, of those things? Yeah. So it's an interesting contest there. Uh, it looks like yeah, it was two or three years ago, Alexa had such an overwhelming lead. 
Yeah. And it was not it was not even that long after the Echo had been introduced. And I remember when it first came out, a friend of mine got one early on because he, he buys everything. He's, right. he's he's the earliest of adopters. So I walked over to his house, and we had fun stumping Alexa with questions she couldn't answer. And I wrote <laughs> right. this somewhat mocking review that, well, you know, this is not the end all. You know, it's not all that. Didn't even think that this would be how you'd control, you know, all of the home appliances you might have. Yeah. When obviously at the time there was, there were, must have been a lot of whiteboards in Seattle outlining exactly how Amazon was going to make this the, the, the nexus of a smart home. Yeah. And so now Google's caught up. You know, Apple's HomeKit is, it is further behind. But, you know, at least if you want something that's privacy optimized, it's there. And it's getting a little more traction. A bunch of the TV vendors that are adding AirPlay streaming are also adding HomeKit support. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would like this to be more than a, a contest between two vendors, both of which are, you know, heavily reliant on collecting data to sell yep. you more stuff or <laughs> sell ads. Yep. So, you know, that's good. And... I don't know. Like, I'm not so sure about all these cases where you actually need to have. Do we need to bring Alexa or Siri or Google Assistant into this com- into this conversation at all? Yeah. You know, there are lots of cases. I don't know. Like, we uh, we replaced our fridge, our washer, and our dryer in the last three years, and and none of them are online. Right. And I'm thinking that's good because yep. I don't know how much longer that'll be an option. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, I have none of my. Uh... Stuff is online, but yeah, um, and I, I don't have any of the. I don't have a, an Echo or, a, um, you know, or any of the Google devices. So it's, um, you know, I, I still like. I understand why people like them, but even like in cases where I'm at people's homes where they do have them, I like. I still don't quite see the appeal. <laughs> yeah. So. We we just uh, for once we got like a good offer from our internet provider that you would usually see for a new customer. But Verizon uh-huh. said, you know, you do you want to uh, upgrade your service uh, and we'll we'll throw in a free Amazon Echo. And we just got the uh-huh. email to like fill in to get that sent, which I think I should get just for research purposes instead of just right. playing around with it on the side. And I guess stick it in the kitchen or something where your hands are often full. Right. But yeah, you, I don't actually. I swear the the biggest use case I have for for voice driven assistance, you know, it's kind of handy to pick up my iPad and and say, uh, you know, hey Siri, what's the weather in city I'm going to this week? Right. Which is really not not, not a very advanced use at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, we had done a podcast of I don't know maybe a year ago, like basically just sort of exploring them and. Um, with me being the skeptic and and uh, somebody else being much more enthusiastic about them, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, like I'm like I guess it's neat, but I I just I still don't quite see the you know why it's like the biggest amazing thing in the world. Um, but you yeah, know, it was I guess when you sort of start like chaining different levels of utility together. I mean, the the only yeah. real smart home things we have set up right now are a bunch of Philips Hue light bulbs, which is actually handy. They can run on a timer. They'll turn it automatically when I get home. Right. Um, you know, they, they can, there are various options. I can, I can dim them with, you know, the app on my phone, which our daughter thinks is neat. Right. So, 
and but the real reason I got them was basically um, my brother ordered one and Amazon sent two of the, the starter kits. <laughs> so he was like, "Do you want this?" I'm like, okay, I guess I should try it out. Right. Yeah, and, and again, like I'm I'm all for experimentation, and and it's interesting. I'm just like, I guess I'm kind of waiting to see, you know, does it. You know, is there something really that is breakthrough about it rather than sort of neat and like, I mean, it feels futuristic, certainly. Um, and like, you know, uh, I don't know if you did a tour of uh, Google's. Uh, they, I they didn't sort of... get around to that. Like they had, I, I kept seeing it across the, the entrance from the convention center, but never got around to checking it out. Yeah. So they, I, I did that. I did take a tour. So they had a few different sections, but you know, one part was basically they built a, a house in the parking lot. As um, one does. And, and you basically got to walk through the house and they would demonstrate how the, the Google home hub uh, could be useful and all different things within your home. Um, and most of them didn't seem all that appealing. I mean, certainly like turn on the lights, tell you the news and the weather in the morning, uh, and like get a recipe for you while you're cooking. Um, you know, one that was neat, but I don't know how often you would need it in your home <laughs> was like the real time translation where you could have a conversation. They, they demonstrated a conversation between somebody speaking English and somebody speaking Italian, just back and forth right. with the, the hub translating for you. Um, which, you know, I mean, that's that, cool. That's more useful, like when it's an app on your phone. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Than in your home, right? So, I mean, it, it was interesting, but it still feels like people are sort of casting about trying to trying to figure out things. I mean, the other thing that should be mentioned because lots of people were was that the other part of that building in or the upstairs really of that building uh, that Google put up in the parking lot was literally an amusement park ride. Um, that's that, what people were tweeting about. Yeah. That you would line up for and then sit in and it would take you around like you were at Disney world, um, with a, a song and, you know, dancing characters and, and everything like that, which was really kind of bizarre and including like, uh, it would take a photo of you as you traveled around. And at the end you could see the photo of you in this, uh, thing. Um, okay. and, uh, it was, I have no idea how much money they wasted on that thing. Um, it was definitely interesting and unique and they did it. It was, they definitely did it with their, you know, collective tongue planted in their cheek because like <laughs> even in the introduction, they're like, you know, this is the biggest publicity stunt idea that we could think of. <laughs> like they <laughs> directly admit that and, and sort of, you know, regularly referred back to, uh, back to it in a joking manner as you take the ride. Um, but it was, it was, it was different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming like the Google has their Google IO developer conference in, uh, May, whenever it'll be in May, we'll find out. So I'm, I'm assuming there'll be lots more where that came from. Yeah. That event. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, anyways, uh, so is there anything else that we, we didn't cover that we, that, that you thought was, was notable? So the other thing is each, each, when I see all these exhibits of connected appliances, I, I have to ask so like, how long are you going to ship updates for this? Yep. What's the software life cycle? Like, you know, windows, you can look up and see that windows seven will, will stop getting security patches unless you sign a maintenance contract sometime next year. Same thing that happened to Windows XP finally around like 2014 or 2015 or whatever many years it was after it debuted. 
and these companies can't answer it. Like I had this really frustrating yeah. interaction with Samsung PR where they said, because I, I asked them, I'm like, either you have a number of years or you don't. <laughs> and instead they were like, is this story going to focus on Samsung only or not? What's the context <laughs> of this? I'm like, how about you just answer the question? This, this, right. cannot be, this cannot be a weird query you didn't anticipate. Yeah. Uh, since that was the whole point I made when I wrote about the Family Hub Fridge when it debuted in 2016. Yeah. To the extent that companies cannot or will not answer this question, that pretty much sandpapers away any desire I have to buy these things that are going to stay in your home for hopefully a decade, given what they cost and given how long you keep the, the unconnected kind. Yeah. You know, just saying don't worry about it or doing a lot of hand-waving is it's no, no, yeah. thank you. Yeah. I mean, along those lines, like one of the things that when I was walking around Eureka park with, with someone who is uh, a lawyer by training um, and he kept pointing out, there are a whole bunch of products that were um, mostly connected products, but that were uh, targeting children, you know, that had sort of, you know, yeah. toys or, or whatever. And he would go up to each booth and ask them, uh, what their Kappa strategy is. <laughs> I wish, uh, <laughs> what were their answers? <laughs> there, there were a lot of blank stares uh, <laughs> and a lot of recommendations that you should find a lawyer who, who specializes in Kappa. And that is another Silicon Valley plot line on <laughs> <Yeah>. HBO. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know... Uh, it, it was uh, interesting how many people had no idea that there are specific regulations when you have. Oh my god! You, know, I mean, you don't it, need to go to law school to this. Just, just, yeah. You know, get a Silicon Valley DVD from your library <laughs> right. and watch the Terms of Service episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible. Which actually leads into something that we we usually do talk about, um, but there really wasn't that much to talk about this year, which is like policy related stuff. Um, so many of the Fed stayed at home. Yeah, there. I mean, there were some there, but yeah, I mean, with with the government shutdown, um, the FCC didn't show up. There's there's usually like you know most of the FCC and most of the FTC commissioners make an appearance and sometimes I have a round table with all of them yep. um, that I usually try and attend but there was nothing this year because well claimed because of the government shutdown and I guess that's as good as re good a reason as any um but there there really didn't feel like there were that many policy discussions even outside of that I mean there were there were different panels um but it didn't seem like there was any sort of like you know in the past, there's always like you know a big key policy issue, you know whether it's net neutrality or you would have thought privacy would have been that issue, but yeah, the, I mean the there only were... keynote I saw where that came up at all was Samsung's, where the CEO of the company said the protection of our users, you know, privacy and security must be paramount. Yeah, and, and no one and all the other product launches and presentations I saw didn't even give that much lip service to it. It's as if we didn't just spend a year yeah. <laughs> finding out all kinds of fascinating ways that this product <laughs> or that app or that service can completely violate your privacy and sell you out. Yeah. I mean, there were there there was a panel on privacy stuff and there were discussions on it, but it didn't it really didn't feel that central. And and even like so the panel that I moderated on on um, autonomous vehicles and safety at one point, like the discussion, you know, I, I raised this question of like, you know, how autonomous vehicles could create 
new business models and, and different things. And, you know, I meant more in the like idea of like subscribing to transportation, um, right. which is a concept that people have talked about. But the panelists took it in a direction where they started talking about like all the data and all the stuff you could do with it. And I was saying, well, wait, <laughs> hold on a second. <laughs> yeah. Because, um, you know, if you're trying to build trust around these things, uh, you should pay attention to what has happened over the last year from, you know, in the social media space, for example, yeah. when you collect all sorts of data <laughs> and, and how people feel about what you do with it. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something we're definitely thinking about. But uh, it didn't seem like that way <laughs> when they were first discussing it. Um, yeah, to think that you would still think yeah we're just going to have a big data model just yeah go to the exact same playbook as before it is crazy yeah yeah so yeah it really didn't feel like there was that that much you know or there wasn't really a big issue on the on the tech policy side there were you know plenty of smaller discussions but it didn't feel like um as key or as central as it has in the past yeah that was strange yeah um, well, that that's everything I had on my list. Is there is there anything else that that you you think we didn't really cover or didn't didn't yeah, fully take a look through my notes? Yeah, I mean, it's, okay. Every year at CES, it it is all about when you know what did you miss out on? Yeah, and you know it's kind of unavoidable. So yeah, it's it's the sprawling <laughs> show. Pe people think it's fun. It's not fun. It's it's the hardest working week I have all year. Yeah. But I also get so much out of it. It's just drinking from a fire hose and getting this huge high level overview of what's happening and not just among the the tier 1 companies. That yeah. Have, you know, we'll have Super Bowl ads, but random companies that sell connected sake glasses. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it it is it is really interesting. And, and you know, I said the same thing to a bunch of people, you know, you'd run into people and they say, "Oh, you know, what's the best thing you saw? What's the most interesting thing?" thing that you saw and I and I kept saying you know and, and I think that I've said this in the past too you know I, I really don't know when I'm there because there's so much information yeah. overload and it really is like you know a week later which you know we're now recording this a week later um, you know what's still sticking with me what am I thinking about that that that's when I begin to realize like what what was most interesting about CES but while I'm there there's just so much happening at once um, and it really is like for people who haven't been there it's it it is difficult to describe how massive <laughs> this show is yeah. and how much is happening um, it, it it really is you know I've been to other trade shows and other you know trade shows that seem large and and all of them are are tiny compared to to ces and, and everything that goes on around it it really is sort of a, in a, a different category category all of its own basically yeah my, my fallback answer for what's the best thing you saw at ces is always to be honest the boarding pass for my flight home <laughs> yeah because <laughs> after five days of that i am i i look forward to a red-eye flight <laughs> i'll be waking up <laughs> You know, just 20 minutes prior to landing at Dulles. Yeah, yeah. Well, thankfully, I don't have to do red eyes from Vegas. But I I, um, I did have to because flying Vegas to San Francisco, if you book too oh, late, wow. as, yeah. as, as I did, um, means that that is impossible. So I actually had to fly back through San Diego. Oh, um, mileage run. Which, yeah, well, <laughs> not quite in San Diego airport. I, I, don't, I, I I've been there before, but, man, that terminal was awful. <laughs> Like just to to switch flights, I actually had a you had to leave um, 
the boarding area and go back through security. Oh, that's which, not good. Which is just really not enjoyable, especially when the you know the TSA is not getting paid. <laughs> right. <laughs> but anyways, um, we don't need to turn this podcast into complaints about the TSA. So <laughs> have to be another episode. Yes, um, but um, yeah. Once again, I mean, it is always interesting, and um, and it's it's always a, a fun experience. And, and Rob, I appreciate our our growing trend of being able to cover uh, I, CES. I always like having this chance to look over my notes and realize just what I missed. <laughs> yes, well, I will I will continue to seek out um things like internet connected sake glasses that that you did not spot <laughs> to to share with the world. Make a note to check, look for that next January. Yes, cuz I'm sure they'll be back. Um but uh I appreciate you taking the time and um thanks to everyone else for for listening and we'll be back next week. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Someone will get. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get.